The text that we're looking at today, if you will, is kind of like a snapshot of a healthy church. Now, when someone says snapshot, that doesn't mean they captured everything, right? They just quickly took a picture, got what was necessary to get, and moved on. There's a lot more that can be said about a healthy church, but in the book of Acts, we see a snapshot of a healthy local church. The first church that existed after the day of Pentecost. Now, it wasn't a perfect church, right? Why is it not a perfect church? Perfect churches don't exist. It's not a perfect church because it's made up of people. That's why it's not a perfect church. And this snapshot shows us some, some of the marks of a healthy church so we can do two things. We can measure ourselves by this and then we can seek to follow the example that Scripture gives us. So, if you're looking at your handout... The main idea is a healthy covenant community is a people marked by devotion to the Lord, to His people, and to His mission. A healthy covenant community is a people marked by devotion to the Lord, to His people, and to His mission. So verse 42, as we begin, we've outlined it this way, a healthy covenant community is a devoted people. That's, that's very easy to see there in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. They, the church, the people of God, what did they do? They devoted themselves. That word devoted has the idea of persistence or persevering in something. In other words, today but not tomorrow, it was... Continuously. And the grammar there, as I just said, indicates that the people devoted themselves on a continuous basis. They were continually devoting themselves. Those in verse 41, if you were to look back, you see there that 3,000 people were saved. Those who believed God's word, that they were sinners in need of forgiveness, they repented of their sin, trusted in Jesus' perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. Those who did that, those who put their faith in that, they were saved. Those who were saved continually gave themselves. They continually abandoned themselves. And by the way, that is a natural reaction to the gospel. That's what the scriptures tell us. This is a natural reaction to the gospel. So what did they continually devote themselves to? Well, we we have four things here. Not that this is exhausted, but these are the four that we were given. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, we want to ask the question, well, okay, what was that? Well, the apostles taught the truth, to kind of summarize that, they taught the truth about Jesus. They taught the gospel. They taught about the way in which Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament Scriptures in order to bring people to salvation through His sacrificial death on the cross and His resurrection. They took the Old Testament and they pointed people to Jesus. They taught how salvation in Jesus was worked out in the life of the believer also. So they they devoted themselves to what? The teaching about Jesus and the gospel. The Word of God was and is the diet of a healthy church. The early church was devoted to God's Word. They abandoned themselves to the truth about Jesus. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see over and over again the working of the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, the Holy Spirit working. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit only works through the preaching of God's Word. Why was the Holy Spirit working? Because the 
the, the gospel was being preached and people were what? Devoting themselves to that. And the Spirit of God worked in the book of Acts. Healthy churches consume a healthy diet of sound biblical teaching. The Word of God has to be faithfully taught. All the Bible must be taught by those who lead God's people. The church. We the church and those who lead, the pastors, must believe that the Bible is sufficient to build up and bless the church. And these people, they devoted themselves to that. And the church must in turn, don't miss this, <coughs> the church must in turn submit to God's Word when it's faithfully taught. What did these people do? They just didn't hear it. But they did what? They devoted themselves to that. Notice secondly there in verse 42, they devoted themselves. The early church was continually devoted to what? Fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, fellowship is a word <coughs> that's badly misunderstood. Badly misunderstood. And when I say it's badly misunderstood, it's badly misunderstood by us as the church. We think, when we think of fellowship, we think of a cup of coffee and a donut. Now listen, I'm all for a cup of coffee and a donut. Alright? I love coffee and I love donuts. But that's not New Testament fellowship. Okay? Fellowship in the New Testament is a very technical word. It's a word that literally means to share in common with. It means spiritual togetherness. That's what that word means. The fellowship of the people of God is the interaction of believers with each other in ministering their spiritual gifts and various other ministries. It's working together, this thing that we have in common. The early church was involved in that. They devoted themselves to that. The word also has the idea of partnership. When you read the book of Philippians, in the very first chapter, Paul calls on the Philippians to be partners in the advance of the gospel. When you receive Christ, when you trust Jesus, you become a partner with other people in the work of the gospel. You also become a partner with every other Christian. That's, we're here together to be a team. We're Team Redbud, right? In Franklin County, North Carolina, to reach people with the gospel. Unfortunately, many people fail to participate fully in the local congregation, and as a result, they miss that fellowship. Not the coffee and the donuts, but the partnership and working together to advance the gospel. You may attend Sunday school and corporate worship and say a few hellos and have some conversation, which is all well and good. But if your Christianity amounts to only sliding in on Sunday morning and sliding out, and that's the limit of your fellowship, can I tell you something? You've missed the point of what fellowship is. And worse yet, if your concept of fellowship of believers only involves sliding in and sliding out once a month, or once every two months, You've missed the point. Remember Hebrews 10, 25, Do not forsaken the assembling of yourselves together, and much more as you see the day approaching. Here's the question, dealing with that verse. Do you think Jesus is coming pretty soon? The Bible says He could come back at any time. Do you think the day's approaching? This is yes, it's coming. And listen, it's coming faster than you realize then it's time to get together once in a while. No, we ought to be together all the time. Working together. That's what New Testament fellowship is. Now you may say, why? 
Well, Hebrews 10, 24, the verse prior to the one I read says that we might stir one another up, that we might provoke each other to love and good deeds. You remember that, right? We dealt with that a couple of weeks ago. I need, to, I need you to stir me up to love and good works, and you need for me to do the same thing to you. Don't forsake, he says, the assembling together. Don't let any activity destroy the concept of fellowship that the Spirit of God designs for you to be a part of in the church. This church here was together, ministering mutually to each other's needs, and they did it how often? Continually. It was an ongoing thing that they did. Thirdly, notice they (coughs) were continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, in this verse, that refers to the Lord's Supper. It'll, It'll mean something different when we see it again here in this same passage, but here it refers to the Lord's Supper. What were they doing with the Lord's Supper? Continually devoting themselves to it. I wonder sometimes if the Lord's Supper would be one of those things that distinguish gospel churches in our day and time. You know, I've heard people say, if you celebrate communion too often, it becomes routine. Um, Bible reading and prayer can also become routine, right? if you do them every day. But I hope that we don't read our Bibles and pray less often so that it doesn't become routine for us. The solution is not to decrease the frequency, but rather to ask God to shake us out of our spiritual dullness when it comes to the Lord's Supper. You know, the Lord's Supper here, when we take it in a few minutes, it should remind you of the greatest truth in the world. And that truth is that the Son of God loved you and gave Himself for you so that you could be forgiven and be reconciled to God. That's what we're going to do here in a minute. We're going to remind ourselves of that truth. The Lord's Supper should make us examine our lives so that we confess and turn from any sin. Fourth, they were continually (coughs) devoting themselves to the prayers. Here prayer refers to, listen... Prayer here refers to set times of corporate prayer. Whenever and wherever the church meets, prayer ought to be woven into the fabric of the church life. When we pray, we're acknowledging our total dependence on God. When we move forward in the work of God, and we do it on our knees, that's the way this church did that. It was this way in the past And it has to be that way in the future of the church moving forward. A prayerless church will be a powerless church. If we think that we're going to do anything for God without prayer, we're fooling ourselves. We can't snub our noses at God and say, God, we've got this figured out. If we ever need you, we'll call on you. Because what? We need God all the time. These people were continually devoting themselves to prayers. Now, this is not talking about individual prayer, which is good, but it's talking about when they came together collectively, they were involved in prayer. In other words, they had meetings for prayer. They had specific designated times outside of their corporate worship, maybe relating that to us on Sunday. They had meetings for prayer. I honestly believe, not because I've had to convince myself of this, but because the Scriptures 
Help me to see this. I believe we would see things happen we haven't dreamed could happen if we got together as a church and we pray. My question for for you is, do you believe that? I believe it. Not because I had to convince myself of that, because I read the Scriptures and I see that. Second, look at verse 43. A healthy covenant community is a spiritually powerful people. <clears throat> and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What does it say this church brought? Awe. Some, trans, some of you have translations to use the word fear. The idea is reverence. It's, it's not the idea of being afraid. It's the idea of awareness of something supernatural going on in the church. It has the idea that God is working. And people were what? In awe of that. You ever been in awe of something? The church here in Acts lived in a state of wonder and awe as they saw day by day God working in their midst. And what were they doing? Those four things that we just talked about. Here's the point. If you were around this group, you just sense the spiritual power of God upon that church. That's what's being said here. They lived in a state of wonder and awe as they saw day by day God working in their midst. They spent time gathering in the temple, it says in verse 46. They spent time together in their own homes Verse 46, and they loved to pray. They loved to pray. They continuously devoted themselves to prayer. That's, that was the key for them. The life of the early church was so real and so powerful that the watching world was standing around, and it's like they had their mouths open. They couldn't believe what they were seeing going on in this early church. They couldn't figure it out. The word, this word awe is an interesting word. It's reserved for special times in Scripture when people's minds are struck with an awe that's based on something divine. In other words, they can't explain what they see going on. It says they were in awe of God, His greatness and His glory. Every day they were conscious of how great a God they were worshiping. And I think that's the key. They were conscious of how great their God was. Is that us? There's some days I have to ask myself that question. Where are you at, Gary? Where, where are you at? Are you conscious of this God that has redeemed your life and given you the promise of eternal life? Are you conscious of how glorious and how great He is? He was a community that worshipped a great God. Every soul kept feeling a sense of awe about the church. Think of what it would be like if the church today affected its community that way. Notice what it says. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, notice that it doesn't say all the people did the miracles. The apostles did them. This was a church where miracles were going on all the time. If you continue reading through the book of Acts, the first one you'll see be in chapter 3. Peter heals a crippled man. Then if you go to chapter 5, they lay sick people in the streets and Peter walks by and his shadow falls over them and they're healed. And those who have evil spirits are freed from those evil spirits. Now, we read that and we kind of think, well, this is almost like a storybook 
thing I would, I, would, I would read. What are we to think of this when we read those accounts in Acts? Here's what, we, here's what we should do. We have to acknowledge that God was doing something unique during these times. Does God still do this today? That's the question some of us are asking. Does God still do these type things today? Yes. But. Alright. Here in Acts, these miracles, listen to me carefully. Here in Acts, God attended the preaching of the gospel with miracles in order that preaching of the gospel might be believed. Let me illustrate that for you. Let's say five guys go into town and all five have different messages, but one of those five raises the dead. Which one are you going to believe? Does that make sense? That's why these miracles. God was attending the preaching of the gospel with miracles so people would believe the gospel. The miracles, in other words, were to confirm the gospel in the early beginnings. But does that mean that God still regularly does miracles? Yes. How about the forgiveness of sin? How about the salvation of lost sinners? That is a miracle, folks. See, sometimes you and I forget where God saved us from and what we were before He saved us. We forget that. We think this is the way we've always been. We've just been these people who we go to church on Sunday and, and, we, and we work hard and we do these things and we've just always been this way. When God does a work to save someone by His Spirit through His Word, that is a miracle, folks. And God is doing those miracles all the time. He still does miracles. Moving to verse 44 and 45. A healthy covenant community is a mutually caring people. This is another passage that we have to be very careful with. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. The idea here is that Christians were devoted to one another. Let me say that again. Christians were devoted to one another. They shared a common way of life. They were spiritually united as believers And this spiritual union worked itself out in practical acts of love for one another. The idea here is that God's people were selfless people. They were humble, loving, selfless people. It was about others where their focus was. In fact, in verse 45, look next. (coughs) And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I know this worries some of us. And I'm going to try to explain this. There are those who will take this passage and say that we should be communal living Christians. There's some people who take this and they have that idea that we are just to, uh, you know, buy a big old house and pull everything together and just live together. That's not what this is talking about. I would even say, I'd ask the question, is this teaching that they lived in communes? That they pulled everything and had a kind of Christian communism where everybody's resources went in one pot and they doled it out on an equal basis? Is that what's, is that what's going on here? Is that, what, is that what's being said here? The answer is no. Okay? The Bible recognizes the right to personal property and and the need for families to be separate. Some of you are going, it does. 
I think, if, I think if we look carefully at the text, and not just this verse, but if we look at everything around it, we find that communal living is not what was going on here. And here's why I'll say that. The situation in Jerusalem was, this time was somewhat unique. Thousands had traveled here for the Feast of Pentecost, okay? You go back and you read prior to this, you see that. Many had been saved after Peter's message. Verse 41, 3,000 people were saved. Those who were saved... Listen, they wanted to stay longer in that area and get grounded in their new faith. In order to do that, they needed hospitality and financial help to be able to do this. To meet these needs, the existing church in Jerusalem opened their homes, their pocketbooks to help these people. Some even sold land and donated the proceeds, even though that was not required. So to ease your fears, there's no idea of selling everything and throwing it into a common pot and dispersing it. Some of you are relieved right now. The idea is simply that when somebody had a need, somebody supplied that need. That's all that's being said here. Today for us, the principle still applies. If we see a brother in need, what do we do? We help him out. Before we say, thank goodness that this does not apply to me, we need to remember that we are all exhorted by Scripture to be generous and ready to share with those in need. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Now, I'll say this, based on the Bible. We're not told to share with a lazy, irresponsible person who refuses to work. But if a brother or sister is in need of the basics of life, that's the key. That means food, shelter, clothing, not satellite TV, not internet, not a six-pack of beer. Some of you are going, no, we're not going to do that. If a brother or sister is in need of the basics, then we should be quick to share the blessings that God has given us to help them along. And that's what's going on here. Nothing else, no communal living, no pooling everything together and, and, and delving it out as people had need. That's not what's going on. There was a healthy covenant community here of people who mutually cared for one another. That's the principle for us. That's how we apply that. We mutually care for one another, brothers and sisters, when they're in need. Verse 46. A healthy covenant community is an involved people. A healthy covenant community is an involved people. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with gladness and generous hearts. The church lived out this shared life and notice how they did it. What does it say there? Day by day. Every day. They were involved in one another's lives. Not just the pastors being involved, but all were involved in the lives. Day by day. But this also points to the regular designated gathering of God's people for corporate worship. A healthy church made up of healthy members meets together as a family regularly. Again, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. <coughs> a major responsibility of a healthy church member is showing up. That's a major responsibility of a healthy church member is showing up. You can't build relationships if you aren't meeting with God's people. And this is done by attending both Sunday school and corporate worship and Wednesday night prayer meeting. 
Verse 46. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The church met, God's people met both at the temple and notice where else they met. Look at it. In their homes. Now, breaking bread, as I said in verse 42, refers to communion. Here in verse 46, it refers to having meals together. Verse 46 underscores this sense of togetherness, that of being devoted to fellowship and those who have joined God's family who are being saved. Let me put this down to one word for you. It's talking about hospitality. It's talking about having other believers, fellow believers, in your home and sharing life together. They did it in the temple, and they did it in their own homes. There was this sense of day-by-day togetherness with one another. Verse 47. A healthy covenant community is a witnessing people. A healthy covenant community is a witnessing people. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. What's the first thing it says they were doing? Praising God. They had a mind for praising God. They put their sights on the glory of God. And what did they do? They gave Him praise. And notice what it says next. And having favor with, what's the next word? All the people. All the people here refer to those outside of the covenant community. Lost people. That's who it's talking about. The lost people, listen, they thought the church was something great. You're going, hmm. Yes, persecution would come for the church later on as you read through the book of Acts from the religious crowd and the and the hierarchy of the government, but lost people were attracted to the church. And listen, it wasn't their building and their budget that attracted people. It was their love for the Lord. It was the transformed lives that they saw these people living out. They knew that the gospel was something supernatural because they saw these people's lives changed. And they were attracted to that. Does that make sense? People are attracted to the gospel when people's lives are changed. Because see, these people didn't have buildings. And they didn't have budgets. But they lived in awe of God. And they prayed. And they lived life together. They lived in such a way that lost people were attracted to them. How do we know... This was a Christ-centered, gospel-proclaiming church. Look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People were attracted to them. But when people were attracted to them, what did the people in turn do? They told them the gospel. They witnessed to them the gospel. Evangelism is primarily God's work But He does that work through us. It's the Lord who adds to the church there, those who are being saved. But who's responsible to proclaim the gospel? You and I are. You see, that takes the pressure off of you in sharing the gospel, does it not? 
You're responsible to tell it, and God's responsible to do what? To save them. You're not responsible for that. Now, you ought to know the gospel and share it with them clearly and accurately, but you're not responsible for them turning from their sin and trusting it. You call them to do that, but God's responsible for that. You know, I was, as I was looking through this text this week, and here's the application I, I had to make to myself, and I, and I want to make it to you. You're probably like, just keep it to yourself. Ask yourself, okay? I ask myself this question. If every Christian, every Christian witnessed like me, how many people would hear the gospel and be saved? If everybody witnessed like I did, how many people would hear the gospel and be saved? Think about that. Let that soak in. Think of you sitting here right now, you personally, not me, but you, and and go... If everybody witnessed like me, how many people would hear the gospel and be saved? Note there that the Lord added to the new converts, notice He added to their number. <coughs> He's talking about the, the church there. God added to their number. God does not save people without adding them to the church. Where they can grow... And people are not truly added to the church unless they are saved. This verse tells us that. God's desire is to save lost people, to even save those people who we think are really messed up, and then God adds them to the church. Let me ask you something. These people were coming from everywhere in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Peter preaches and 3,000 at one time get saved. Now let me ask you a question. How many many of them 3,000 do you think were really messed up people? A bunch of them. All of them are lost. But some of them were really, really messed up. And when they were saved, what did God do with those people? Added them to the church. Notice the words there, those who were being saved. Who did God add to the church? Those who were being saved. To be saved means to be delivered from God's wrath and judgment that we deserve because of our sins. We get saved by putting our trust in Jesus as the one who bore the judgment for our sin on the cross. As soon as a person gets saved, he shares Christ in common with all others who are saved. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ is the basis of true fellowship. In Acts chapter 2, these verses we just looked at, 42 through 47... We have the marks of a healthy church. Some of the marks of a healthy church. So we can measure ourselves by them and then seek to follow them. Now I said this earlier, no church is perfect. But as we continue to devote ourselves to the Lord through His Word and through worship, as we devote ourselves to the fellowship of His people, as we devote ourselves to His work in the world... God will use us to glorify Himself. But it takes what? What's the one word? Devotion. The proposed church covenant calls us to be fervent in our devotion to the Lord and to His church so that He uses us to reach many people for His glory. If you have a copy of that schedule... Or maybe it's on the back of your handout, excuse me. 
Here's the application we have. We will strive together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its holiness, prosperity, spirituality, worship, ordinance, discipline, and doctrines. Then it says, we will, when we remove from this place, or if we ever do, God forbid, as soon as possible, we'll unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word. See, when you leave one church, you're not to wander around in the wilderness. You're to find somewhere else to be and be with God's people in order to carry out the mission of God. Let's pray.